Chris Kowser here with Matt Howell. And this week on The First Run, now Chris and I become Death, the destroyer of cinematic worlds with the latest three-hour spectacle from Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. I, for one, look forward to wading into historical moral quandaries we have no business opining on, and I hope that you, listener, are excited to hear that too. After that uplifting discussion, we'll give you the big releases on physical media, our straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week, then we wrap up the show with our five favorite Christopher Nolan scenes. So let's push the big red button and hope we don't get a cascading chain reaction of neutron collisions with Oppenheimer. This is a national emergency. Detonator charged. in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. They have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. All right, Matt, let's get on that. Let's go ahead and recruit some scientists. All right. So, Matt, as Barbie had a record opening from a woman director, and actually, I shouldn't even say that. I mean, just had a record opening is one of the, what, the seventh biggest opening or eighth biggest opening in cinematic history regardless of the sex of the director. So uh, uh, good for Greta Gerwig. So since Barbie blew everything out of the water, let's talk about the second place box office smash <laughs> that everyone isn't talking about quite so much. Mm. So, uh, you know, we kind of like to wait for the zeitgeist to cool a bit before we climb aboard. So sure. we'll be chatting about Barbie next week. But let me ask you, Matt, one of the things I noticed about uh, Oppie, as I like to call him, Oppenheimer, the film feels kind of to i don't think i don't think borrow or leverage is the right term it just kind of shares this kind of dna kind of with fincher's the social network where he takes a biopic dramatic biopic and turns it almost to a relentless kind of thriller so what are your thoughts on oppenheimer does it kind of have that feel to it does it have that relentless to it is you know what scratch that matt is nolan back because let's be honest, I think the last few films of his, I think we've enjoyed, but he was no longer an event director for me. Has he reclaimed that status? Is he there for you? What's going on? Your thoughts on Oppenheimer? Yeah. So what's interesting about uh, Oppenheimer, um, and I assume I don't need to give the synopsis. I mean, you listened to the trailer just a few seconds ago. Um, but in case you want to know, oh, yeah, sure. it's, it's, it's World War II. Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, is a famous uh, physicist in the U.S., and he is recruited by the U.S. to aid in the warfare effort in the development of a superweapon, and he leads a group of physicists in the Manhattan Project, which results in the atomic bomb and the start of the nuclear age. Um, so, I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> is he back? 
Well, yeah, well, no one were event films for me up until I think the last couple where I enjoyed them. But and the other thing, too, is you think about Tenet, which was very, I think, interesting at times, very dense and almost needlessly complicated, I think, at times. And Oppenheimer, again, is another similarly dense film. And he also jumps back and forth in time with, I think, a really interesting and effective uses of flashbacks and flash forwards as well. So I don't know. But after Tenet, he dropped out of that. I need, you know, like, oh, crap, no one films coming out this year. I can't wait. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if you were in the same boat as I was with that. Yeah, I was. I think he might have dropped out of uh, must-see TV um, with Dunkirk. I mean, I like Dunkirk, but I didn't think mm-hmm. it was as great as, you know, his previous reputation would have would have indicated. But I think what's interesting about this film is that this is, I think, the first film in a long time that is not about spectacle, right? So Tenant is about, you know, a clever structure. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, camera tricks. There's a lot of mm-hmm. action sequences. Um, Interstellar has kind of got the same kind of massive scale, you know, visions of a black hole and and uh, theoretical um, relativistic physics that had and how they happen on a planet and the kind of heady sci-fi concepts. And as you kind of go back, Dunkirk or the war film, all of his films prior to this, up until maybe the prestige, maybe even, and even that to an extent has a lot of big set pieces to it. So maybe Memento um, or Insomnia. This is the first time he's kind of returned to a more dialogue heavy you kind of have to you know it's it relies on the actors as opposed to the tricks and the the cleverness that he kind of brings to or he attempts to bring to to a lot of his films which is a weird thing to say when you're talking about a film that's about the atomic bomb you know a massive uh, explosion is one of what we're building up to but it's uh i think it works so well because it's not focused on tricks you're not waiting for an action sequence you're not gonna see the you know destruction of of hiroshima or nagasaki it's basically you know a bunch of very smart people in a race against time and the kind of moral quandaries that they have in kind of creating this weapon of mass destruction yeah, I think, too, one of the things I was most interested in going into this was seeing the explosion, right? I'm thinking because he, he's a practical effects guy. He says there was no CGI used for any of the explosions or anything in the film here that was all practical effects, which blows my mind. Uh, there's some really great, fascinating, interesting things that he does with it. I think that the uh, he used... I don't know what, not, I guess miniatures isn't the right word, but sm- smaller versions and enforced perspective to basically do the Trinity explosion, which was cool as heck. But that what what's what I was expecting and looking forward to the most, Matt. And then what I get instead is this, you know, this this character study on, on J. Uh, Robert Oppenheimer. And he's a man of focus, brilliance, and a personal life that 
kind of threatens to derail him at every turn, right? I mean, he likes the ladies, especially the commie ones. So you got to keep that in mind, folks. Stay away from the commie ladies because... Mm-hmm. Even if Pugh, they look like uh, Florence Pugh or Emily Blunt, you got to stay away. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's what we get, Matt, is we get this really fascinating focus on this troubled jackass at, a t- at times of a guy. He's one of those... Unfortunately, or fortunately, he's an arrogant son of a gun who can back his shit up, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting. So I I was very, I think I was just wrong going into it, thinking that I was focusing too much on the spectacle. And what Nolan ends up giving me is a very intricate, well-orchestrated story of this guy and who it turns out to be, I don't know if this sounds kind of reductive, but his arch nemesis um, played by Robert Downey Jr., right? And I'll, I'll confess, too, that I was not really familiar with the issues with him and Louis Strauss uh, in regard, you know, that relationship that they had and how that all shook out and how he lost his security clearance, all this other fun stuff. So, yeah. To answer my own question, I for me, I think Nolan is back. I think this may be the best film he's done since The Prestige. I think the prestige may be, and maybe we can do a quick run on him at some point in this episode. My favorite Christopher Nolan film at this point. I think so. I still have struggled with some stuff in the dark night. Uh, I think I, I struggle with how kind of rushed the whole two face thing is. And I'm not the biggest fan of the, the boat scene. And then uh, even after that, the, you know, the, what is it, the construction site building fight thing, too. There's just, I, I struggle with some of the stuff in that film. Well, Prestige, I have no qualms with it in any capacity at any moment. And I think 2008, uh, Christopher Scalzo would have some words with you, some fighting hmm. words. Uh, oh, absolutely. This. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm older. Hey, it's fact, it's my birthday today. So there you go. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, Matt, I don't know. Uh, I don't think, too, I thought, I'm curious what you think about this. What about the score? Because it's like, omnipresent through this film there are you could time i think how much of footage does not include or i would say is encompassed and surrounded and possibly almost suffocated by uh Gorenson's score what were your thoughts now i'm a score guy and i enjoyed it it really adds a sense of momentum and i think i used this word a lot the last year i have to come up with a different one but a lot of propulsion to the film as well it kind of gives it its thriller edge uh what were your thoughts on that did you notice that at all yeah so i mean i I, you can't not notice the score but the score really is again that kind of you know uh big blast notes these kind of drones that go on it's like i can't i would struggle to I struggle to remember any melody from that score at mm-hmm. all, but I, but I, I was hyper aware that it was there at all times, which is strange. So I think it's effective for what it is, but it's not, I can't imagine that uh, score corner Christopher Scalzo is going to be popping this one in just to have a listen every now and again. Yeah. I want to hear it again. So I'll pop it up on the Apple music. And oh, can I just say, Sue, real quick, a little divergence, because this is what I do the best in this show. I tried uploading my, to do the sync for the Apple Music for my iTunes, because I have such a massive library. And it's such a pain in the ass for me, because I, I also retitle things. Because like if you do greatest hits on Apple Music and you just put it on your phone, 
you're gonna have a nightmare of a time figuring out which of the greatest hits albums it is. So then it duplicates stuff, and then it has stuff that it's. I I think I'm gonna give up. I'm not gonna use the Apple Sync on my laptop in any capacity. It's so frustrating. I said, let me try again. I deauthorized my old computer. I'm up to date on all my software. Maybe it'll work right this time. And it's just deleting. It's it's duplicating playlists. I have three versions of a certain play. You know, it's just. I I hate it. I'm just gonna stop it. It drives me crazy. Sorry, I did all this today. That's why it's in the front of my mind. It's one of my birthday things that I did for myself. And it's... I hate it. No, no, not at all. Matt. So one of the things about the score. No one told Gorenson that he wanted him to focus on the violin for the main theme. Which I think is really interesting. Because violin really has the ability to shift from just, what? Emotion, tear-jerking beauty to downright horror. And I think it was a really good decision. I think it's very effective. But you're right. I can't really repeat the single melody of this film for you in any capacity. But I want to hear it again. Though I'm not one of these whack jobs who's going to buy the three LP vinyl version from Mondo. I could not begin to understand. If you're a collector, I guess, then that makes sense. But the three LP score for Oppenheimer. just to, You're getting up three times to turn that thing over. All right. It's just, I I can't wrap my head around that. But yes, so, but I, I'm going to revisit it because I think I enjoyed it, but well, I, like, I'll have to report back on that. My question for you then, uh, another question for you on Oppenheimer, Matt, is it too dense in its storytelling? Jumping back and forth in time from color to black and white, the discussion of the physics stuff, though I think Nolan does really a good job of not letting us drown in the uh, technical jargon. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Is it too dense? I don't. I don't think it was too dense. I, I think I kind of got on its wavelength pretty quickly. I think the only thing, and this often happens with a lot of these kind of vast cast films, is they would reference. You know, they would say a name, and I would be like, "Who the hell is that? Is that yeah. Josh Hartnett's character?" Like, I, I, I had a lot of problems keeping up with the names, especially kind of in the beginning, that kind of opening forty-five minutes when they're introducing who Chevalier is and they're talking about his brother and you know somebody else and blah 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 and it's back and forth back and forth you know so that part I did struggle with a little bit but eventually you just kind of get into the rhythm of what it is and Mm. sometimes it doesn't even really matter you know it's like oh it's that guy you know I know who that guy is I don't remember his name but I know who that guy is yeah you need a little bit to get your bearings with all of that but I think once you're as Matt said, you're on the ride. It's very good. I think that Mullen does a great job of leading us through this whole thing. It doesn't never feel like hand-holding to me, um, but I really appreciated his dedication in telling the story this way. Though I one thing I'll complain about again. He seems to continue to be down-mixing the audio of his actors. And it's very frustrating. I don't know what this that's about. And it's not just him. A lot of companies or production companies seem to be doing this now. And I don't know, we just need to boost the vocals, the vocals, but the audio of the actors a little bit more because they did every now and then they were drowned out by, again, that unrelenting score. Did you notice that at all on your screening? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there were times where I guess it made somewhat sense, like they're out on the plains of New Mexico and the wind is whipping and it's kind of taking away their words. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. I guess I get what he's doing there. But like literally... You know, they'll be having this, like, he and Oppenheimer and, and 
and uh, the general Matt Damon's character will be having a conversation and the, and the score just keeps getting louder and louder, but their voices aren't. And I'm like, I hope they're not saying anything super important because I am not catching it right now. Yeah. So that's true. So what are your thoughts too? Because one of the issues I had with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was McQuarrie's, some of his shot selection, particularly when he's he's shooting his actors and he's doing his close-ups. And the very dramatic nod and head turn type things that he did probably a dozen times in that film. And by the way, I just rewatched Fallout over the weekend. And God damn it, that movie is so good. It made me more even more upset about Dead Reckoning. Because <laughs> it's... Uh, anyway, okay. But here, Nolan does a lot of close-ups as well. And almost like glamour shot portfolio level of close-ups in this. But unlike that one, unlike Dead Reckoning... None of them felt kind of just overly dramatic and overdone. Here, they really seem to work. And I think the, the actor who benefits the most from this, obviously, is his lead. It's Killian Murphy, who I think just runs away with this film. He is... I've always enjoyed his work. I think the first thing I ever saw him in was 28 Days Later. And I've always liked him. But here, man, he really finally kind of gets to lead this big, big film... And he absolutely knocks it out of the park. What did you think about Murphy and any of the other actors stand out to you? Yeah, I thought Cillian Murphy was great. Um, I was weirdly happy to see Josh Hartnett. He plays a very small role, but I was like, mm-hmm. hey, it's Josh Hartnett. Good for him. Um, I thought Emily Blunt was more the female lead. There's a lot of talk about Florence Pugh. I mean, she's not really in it that much um, for as kind of as much conversation as she's taken up as in the lead up to this film. Um, and obviously... I thought Matt Damon and, and RDJ is kind of the the two foils. Uh, one his the one who's trying to support him, and then the one that's you know telling stuff in the future about kind of what happened. I thought they were both excellent as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved Old Man Hartnett. I've never been never a big fan of his generally, but I think he may have found his sweet spot at his current age i think it, everything really seemed to come together he had a lot of screen presence for me in this he had a, almost a kind of a i don't know how to describe it but there's a certain kind of chemistry type thing or just i don't know what i can't i don't know but i really enjoyed him in this and i have never really been the biggest fan of his they certain i don't know what's so, yeah, well, Florence Pugh as kind of our troubled romantic, uh, what his first real uh, romantic relationship, a, a young woman. And there's also some talk about the sex scenes that she is in. Like there was um, an individual on Twitter who said that we don't see, you know, really a woman with a line of dialogue and for the first 10, 20 minutes of the film. And then she's naked basically a minute later. And I don't. Get that. First off, Pew is also very body positive. She has no concerns with this. And I, though I will say it's unfortunate, I think that we didn't get any Cillian Don or I said Cillian, just Killian. It's Killian Murphy. I don't want to get that wrong. We don't get any Killian Donk. So I think it's fair to complain about that, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I still. guess you could go watch 28 Days Later if you want to see his Donk. There you go. So, but I mean, there are people like her and like him in the world. And I think it's really integral to her storyline and her her character's arc that shows the kind of person that she is of uh, this unmoored woman who latches on to him and kind of looks to him for support, even though she at times wants nothing to do with him. And it is really, I don't know. I thought it was a really fascinating little vignette of their relationship. And I think Pew is particularly strong in that as well. Same with Emily Blunt, who I think 
I would almost make the argument she's not quite as fully fledged as a character as Pew is, but she gets that great moment at the end that if I have any any issues with Nolan being a little too obvious is that you knew exactly where that particular interaction with the uh, Roger Rob character was going to go, right? But still, she executes it really, really well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's good actors all around, even the minor supporting roles of all the scientists that I can barely remember their names. I mean, I don't think there's really a weak one in the bunch, really. No, I mean, Casey Affleck as the, uh, I don't know if was he a colonel, a general, I can't remember, but he was... I mean, that's clearly the guy that probably in real life is the one that was harassing and doing horrible things and saying horrible things to women. I think that's who he is in his real life. So I think he actually absolutely nailed that. And um, what else I wanted to say? The I just want to touch back, Matt, on the on your thoughts on this, on the flat, his use of flashbacks and flash forwards. Because I love that Nolan gradually kind of expands them a little bit at a time. So we get little teases of stuff every now and then. And they just kind of expand more and more as the film progresses. And then they're interspersed with these various kind of explosion-y effects, be they bomb or interpersonal relationship type stuff as well. There's just so many great little touches in this film. I Some people are calling it his masterpiece. I'm not set on that yet. But I will say, like I said, this is the best thing he's done in a long time. Yeah, I agree. I I didn't get the sense like where you connect with a film so hard that you come out of the film almost breathless as you're leaving the theater. I didn't get that, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I guess we'll have to see how it holds up on repeat viewings. I mean, just by the sheer fact that I enjoyed a biopic, that should say a lot for you. Um, I think it helps that it's not about a singer, even, you know. That begins and ends with Dewey Cox. I think that's the best biopic you can ever watch. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think overall, yeah, I think it's it's really excellent. Um, what is one thing I do want to ask you? So, yeah. uh, what did you think about Gary Oldman making another world appearance as another World War II leader in uh, Harry Truman? So I struggle with this because a I think that film that that scene is pivotal to the entire film, even though it's only a few minutes long. Because what we do is, throughout the entire film, we're basically looking at this through uh, what kind of Killian Murphy's, Oppenheimer's perspective, right? And it's one of the only times in the entire film that our perspective shifts from him and everything about him to an entirely different character who basically takes a moment to, what, destroy basically everything he thought and he understood about politics in the world and all this. So another thing too, is that Truman for a very long time. And I think maybe still is my favorite president. I was a big history buff for a long time. I was always really impressed with Harry Truman. Uh, I would always go back and forth between him and FDR, but Truman did a lot of crappy shit. It's one of those weird things I struggle with because he's the one that got us into the Korean war, but it's, it's one of the things of what would have happened if we didn't do that. It's so hard to Monday morning quarterback a lot of that stuff. Like what would have been the communist expansion in that area if they didn't do I, It's very difficult. And I think Oldman is absolutely great as Truman. And, and like I said, it's a very pivotal scene. Uh, and, sh- and just I love how it kind of regrounds us into a, a, a reality that not everything 
it, you know, plays out as the way we, we think it should. Um, I don't know, Matt, are you old enough to remember growing up during the nuclear scare? Because we're still doing that when I was a kid. No, like we didn't do any of the duck and cover or anything. Like mm-hmm. we were, you know, the it was the Cold War or whatever, but I mean... Berlin Wall fell in 1984. I was only like, you know, five years old when that happened. Um, or no, not 1984. It was, it was later than that. 1989? Is that when yeah. the Berlin Wall fell? Um, but okay, so I was 10 years old when that happened. So, you know, to me growing up, um, the Russians were just kind of like the go-to bad guy in movies. Mm-hmm. Like they were this thing. They weren't even particularly scary. Like we weren't like, I wasn't growing up worried that the Russians were going to, you know, nuke us or anything like that. Wolverines. No, I know, but it, yeah, but we still, I was still scared about it as a kid. But when I was in high school, we had a, I had a teacher who as a gag would do the duck and cover. Cause it was technically still in the rule books, I guess, for the schools that you're supposed to do it. So he would still do it, but he would do a funny thing where he had a big plastic duck and then a book and he'd hold it up. He'd go the duck and then the cover for the book and then we'd all have to get under our desks but there was still very much a fear of russia you know when i was growing up so um it's just interesting i mean just the way that oldman does that one last line as he you know as as murphy's off numbers walking out so they're never gonna let that cry baby in this office again yeah yeah <laughs> so that's what we're maybe that's what we're building up to he he uh he had a turn as winston churchill now Nolan's next film is going to be Truman, and it'll be starring Gary Oldman. I've watched that. I love the uh, the one with um, Lieutenant Dan. The hell's his name from HBO? Oh, Gary Sinise. Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved that one as a kid. That's because I, I was such a big Truman fan. So, yeah, I, I just love that scene so much because it just the arrogance that we kind of get taken in by his performance by his character as Oppenheimer. And he gets just just slap in the face from Truman, you know that it's 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 so great. So, um, and I think one of the last things I wanted to mention that uh, Matt, what was one of uh, Killian Murphy's influences in his performance? Take a guess. Uh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Seventies era, and I am assuming cocaine era. David Bowie. Oh well, fair enough. <laughs> and now that I watch, and then when I, I read that afterwards, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course, I could totally see it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it, Matt. Have I blown through all my notes? Dear Lord, that was a lot of stuff to talk about. Oh, multiple Oscar nominees, nominations guaranteed, Matt, for me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be nominated probably in every major category. Um, we'll see how many it actually ends up playing. And I think my final complaint is the only way to see the full version of this film is an IMAX 65 millimeter, mm. which I think there are 12 theaters in the country that have that. Okay. Which Great. is, it's BS, bro. That is BS. I will say this. I went on a Monday night and this thing was packed. Yeah. Movies are back, baby. Barbie, I, I'm going to take the missus uh, to see Barbie this weekend. And every screen I clicked on was sold out. Not sold out, but like, you know, five seats left all the way up to the front or one all the way in the back. And uh, I looked, I checked in today, and the AMC added like a dozen more showings for the Barbies. So good for you. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm very excited. Oppenheimer and Barbie doing fantastic. Oh, I love that. I read this little note too, which I love. Matt Damon, it was him and his wife at, during couples therapy, said 
he uh, they had negotiated where he was going to take a break from movies for a while. He wasn't going to do any movies, but he said, unless Christopher Nolan hires me to do a film, I've, I want to work with Christopher Nolan. Sure enough, boom, you get him. So, all right, Matt, Nolan's back, baby. Oppenheimer gets an A from me. Yeah, it gets an A from me as well. Man, I feel like I ran, I, I rambled a lot. I my note, part of my notes were just all a jumble. I didn't do a good job organizing them because I'll be perfectly honest with you, I'm having a bit of a tum tum issue right now. No, that's no good. Well, we are into the first film and we're almost a half hour in, so I'm really looking forward to adding this week. I, I love that. So movie I, yeah, I love it. Uh, I like it when they're when we're doing these one movie things and they're kind of compact. You know, they're like a tight forty five minutes. Not this time. Not today, baby. <laughs> and remember, when you watch Oppenheimer, folks, all the visualizations, all the uh, CG, all the uh, special effects, practical. The black holes, supernovas, the depiction of the stars, the energy waves, the atoms, the molecules, everything done, practical effects, incredible. So uh, I cannot wait to get this in four K. I'm gonna buy this one right away. And I'm curious, though, to see what format we're going to get. What aspect ratio are we getting on that physical disc? Maybe, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But that's gonna that one's going to be stuck in my head for quite a while. Have you seen Oppenheimer? Did you do the double? Did you do the duo? Did you do the double down? Uh, a lot of people did. Did you do the Oppenheimer Barbie weekend? Shoot us an email. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday. August 1st, August 1st, dear God, 25th anniversary release, Matt, of this film, getting another 4K release, not a new master, not a new scan, just a special edition release with a whole bunch of little goodies in it. I already bought it, I think for eight bucks, like on Black Friday a year ago, still haven't watched it, but uh, now's your chance to pick it up in 4K if you want to spend extra and get all the goodies. Is this your homework, Larry? Is this your homework, Larry? Look, man. Dude, it... please. Is this your homework, Larry? Just ask him about the car, man. Is this yours, Larry? Is this your homework, Larry? Is that your car out front? Is this your homework, Larry? We know it's his fucking homework. Where's the fucking money, you little brat? Look, Larry, have you ever heard of Vietnam? Oh, You're entering a world Walter. of pain, son. We know that this is your homework. We know that you stole a car. And the fucking money. And the fucking money. And we know that this is your homework. We're going to cut your dick off, Larry. You're killing your father, Larry. All right. This is pointless. Okay. It's time for plan B. You might want to watch out that front window, Larry. Son, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass! You don't want to do that. The Big Lebowski is getting its 25th anniversary release in 4K. The uh, special edition mat includes a booklet, a film cell replica, art cards, and of course, in case you never need to prove it, a certificate of authenticity. There's also an Essentials line release. I don't know what that's about, but uh, you can pick that up. That's coming up in 4K, Matt. And then let's do this right, of course. Number five. The River Wild, the remake, not the uh, uh, one with the uh, famous actor lady, um, and Kevin Bacon. I think it's Kevin Bacon. Is it Kevin Bacon? Anyway, the remake with uh, Adam Brody, Leighton Meester, and Taron Killam is uh, being released. Meryl Streep, Matt. That's that famous actor lady. Dear God, I got to... Prevagen, would you please sponsor this show? Because I am losing it. 
So you can pick up the remake, I guess. Not a lot coming out this week, Matt, obviously. Four. You're going to have Maggie Moore's... Directed by John Slattery, featuring John Hamm and Tina Fey. Police Chief Sanders investigates the bizarre murders of two women with the same name and unravels a web of small-town lies. He meets and quickly falls for Rita, a, no- a nosy neighbor who is eager to help solve the mystery. I think that's my trip-up word. Whenever I read the word nosy, I I say noisy. I don't know what that is. That's my little click. Like I have a buddy of mine. He can't say the word ambulance. He says ambulance. You know, like everybody has a thing i think that might be mine and of course my constant fear that my lisp is going to come back so i'm always focused on how i say certain words anyway uh so yeah you know what it made me think of because reading slattery and then ham that fletch lives movie man yeah that is so love it you love that fletch lives so uh what else uh oh i gotta hit the button get three coffins ready Uh huh Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, and Frozen are all getting 4K steelbook releases from Best Buy. Cinderella gets its own individual release as well. So you're a fan of any of those and you're collecting those really odd steelbooks where they have a very small like 2 by 2 photo of the cover and the rest of it is just like a big steelbook from Best Buy. Well, now you can pick up those three films. So I'm very happy for you. Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> You brought too, too many. Matt, I'm curious what you think about this one. I have never been the biggest fan of this movie. I even I saw the restored uh, director's cut as well. And I'm like, it's still not good. In fact, it may okay. be worse. What are your thoughts on Nightbreed? Uh, it's not great. I, I don't think it's particularly good at all. It's very cheesy. So that's getting released as well in 4K. It's an exclusive slipcover, enamel pin set, posters, and lobby cards if you buy it directly from Shout Factory. So they do a 4K restoration of the film from the best surviving elements for the theatrical cut. That makes me a little nervous. Uh, And then they have the 4K restoration on Blu-ray as well. And then the director's cut is only a Blu-ray release. And they have a fourth disc mat, which is uh, a whole bunch of extra bonus features, including some deleted scenes. And yeah, uh, really the only new thing here is that you're getting the 4K restoration on a 4K disc. All right. But uh, I don't, I don't, I just don't, as we like to say, I don't have any juice for the Nightbreed. And it's got a bit of a cult following, I know that, but I just, it's like you said, it's, I just don't. I mean, literally any horror movie, no matter how bad or put their cheesy, it has a cult following somewhere. That's fair. And then finally, Matt. There can be only one. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is being released. If you buy it from Best Buy, you get a steelbook. Walmart, they actually have an enamel pin of the Guardians logo. You know, the one that they wear on their little uniforms, the little Nova star thing, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And then the Disney Movie Club has its own slipcover. Uh, there's an HDR presentation of the film. Marvel, Marvel, Disney, whatever, because we still refuses to put Dolby Vision tracks on any of them. I think it's, I don't know if it's because they just shoot everything in 2K. Yeah. I don't know. Does have a Dolby Atmos audio track? There's two featurettes, eight deleted scenes, a gag reel, and then commentary by uh, James Gunn. And then Matt, a couple other 4K releases. We talked about Lebowski. Ferris Bueller's Day Off gets its 4K release. Matt, I have never owned Ferris Bueller in any capacity in physical media. Me neither. You know, I watched that movie a lot when I was younger, and I really liked it when I when I was younger. But every time I see it, I'm just like, you know, even when it's on Super Sale, I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I need this. Yeah, I feel the same way. 
And then uh, Two Guns, the uh, Mark Wahlberg, Denzel Washington film is being released on 4K. There's a steel book, then a regular edition. The uh, James Dean classic East of Eden is getting its 4K release as well. And uh, finally then, Matt, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. You know, I don't think it's technically straight-to-DVD, but it's one of those kind of cult B-movie horror films, and it launched the career of this director, Russell Mulcahy. Razorback is being released by mm. Umbrella in 4K. Now, this is an import. You have to get it. it um, but still, you can be able to pick it up. The 4K transfer was done by Umbrella in 2018. I guess they did a 4K transfer, but they put it out on Blu-ray. Now you can pick it up in an actual 4K disc. It's a brand new audio commentary with Michael and Peter Spearig, which is exclusive to the 4K disc. And then they ported over the old commentary by Mulcahy. Uh, interview with actor Gregory Harrison and some other features, including the original uncut 4x3 aspect ratio Australian home video version. So you get the VHS cut included on that. There are rumors that he was into heel, field hockey players. There were rumors. No, I just bumbled that uh, Pixies <laughs> reference. There are rumors that Scream Factory will grab this at some point and release it in 4K here domestically. Yeah. But if you don't want to wait, and again, most of your 4Ks are in uh, our region free. You can pick this one up, Matt. Somewhere deep in the Australian outback, there's an indestructible creature that can rip a man in half and destroy a homestead in seconds. 900 pounds of tusk and muscle, that's what we used to call Matt, hell-bent on terrorizing the small, isolated community of Guamala, a town as violent and primitive as the beast that threatens it. What should we be streaming this week, Matt? I just want to say, I've never seen Razorback, but that is one of those classic VHS covers with the, mm-hmm. the glaring pig and the and the truck with the lights and the fog and everything like that. that brings back some memories, Chris. Um, that's right. So for my streaming picks this week, I'm going to give you where to find as many of the Christopher Nolan films as you can that are available on streaming. Uh, So Interstellar is available on Prime or Paramount Plus or MGM Plus. Dunkirk is available on Netflix and Max. Memento is available on Hoopla or Canopy. Following, believe it or not, is available on Tubi, which is free with some commercials. AMC Plus as well. Batman Trilogy is on Max, and Tenet is weirdly on TBS and True TV. Um, unfortunately, Insomnia, Inception, and The Prestige are currently not available on any streaming service. Wow. You know, I've never seen Following. That's the one thing he's done I haven't seen. Mm, me neither. I, have, I actually own it on DVD, and I've never watched it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of idiot buys physical media and then doesn't watch it? I know. It's, 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 it's really, that's the one time I've done that. Just the one time. Yeah, so maybe we uh, well, let's do that, Matt. Let's try and watch following in the next couple of weeks, and then we can do a Nolan ranking maybe on okay. uh, on the uh, what do you call it? What's the website with three dots? The, the letterbox. Letterboxed. Yes. God, man, I never did drugs. Did you know that? And I yeah. barely drink. Well, you know what? I mean, any they say any amount of alcohol is not safe for you. Maybe you need to cut it out completely. Fair point. I just want to point out quickly too, uh, since it was my birthday, I went ahead and broke down and bought John Wick Chapter Four. And I'm happy to report that it includes an Apple iTunes file for its digital copy because it is a Lionsgate film and the majority of their releases are voodoo only. If you buy like any of their A24 output, digital copies are always just voodoo. So I basically have no digital copies of any A24 films that I buy in physical media, which is fine. I just like the convenience of it, you know, though I can always burn my own Blu-rays, but... uh, Still, it's uh, frustrating. And I can do that legally. You can do that legally, folks. You're still allowed to make copies of things for yourself. Just don't sell it like Matt does. 
All right. I guess that's it. Is that it? I think that's, that's it. That's it. That's it. I know. That's what we got. Let's let's wrap this up. Matt's like, how long is this episode gonna go? <laughs> I think you're doing it on purpose now. I may very well be. <laughs> so uh, you know what I got? I'm right now. I'm debating too. Viper Video Matt has a used copy of Deep Red, the Argento classic in 4K, and I have okay. it on Blu-ray in the special edition. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about upgrading it, but I'm not sure. Did you see they're putting out The Exorcist? Is a, I think it's a 50th anniversary edition in 4K. Would you be upgrading that one? Yeah, I probably would because I think I again I think I only have it in DVD. Uh, I got the Blu-ray that came out about three four years ago, so I don't know. Maybe it's a good transfer. Though I did start watching Goldeneye today because it was my birthday on blu-ray mm-hmm. and the transfer on that not good not good not good i have too nah. good a tv for it. it it's i was very disappointed so well that's that's some first world problems right there and i tweeted that out did you see what i tweeted out today too about that like the whole it blew yeah. my mind i just like wait a minute i'm watching this so if on the top funky johnson's character does not engage in that flirty little chase scene she just drives around him or doesn't even speed up and drive just just drives yeah mm- Trevelyan's plan works perfectly because Bond never gets involved. Right. The only right. reason he spots her car in the casino is because she they did that race thing previously. That's what happens, man. You got an ego. Man, interesting. Though maybe he would have flirted with her still because she was probably the most beautiful woman in the entire casino and he would have beelined right to her with his Bond radar. <laughs> she yeah. was the most beautiful. She was definitely the most beautiful woman at the background table. So That's what true. are you going to do? Yeah. I should have played that when we were in Vegas. All right. Good times. All right. I, I'm sorry, Matt. All right. One more thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's go ahead and close out the show and share our five favorite Christopher Nolan scenes. So where are you? You're in some motel room. You just you just wake up and you're in, in a motel room. There's the key. It feels like maybe it's just the first time you've been there, but perhaps you've been there for a week, three months. It's... It's kind of hard to say. I don't, I don't know. It's just an anonymous room. So, Matt, that's basically part of the opening of Christopher Nolan's Memento, the first film his I'd ever seen. Um, one of my fond memories of going to the Cinema City in uh, Hartford back in the day, where I saw so many of those little independent films that I fell in love with. So, honorable mention for me, obviously, didn't quite make the cut. You Memento fan? Or almost, I don't want to step on any of your picks here. Yeah, yeah, I liked Memento. Although, weirdly, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, I haven't gone back and revisited it, but I remember really liking it when I first saw it. Yeah, head over to the first run, too, on Twitter. I did a whole little thing. I took some pictures of my limited uh, DVD edition of Memento. I have it on Blu-ray, but I held on to that set. It's just so mm-hmm. unique, and I was just mm-hmm. kind of bemoaning the fact that we don't get really cool editions of stuff like that anymore. We start to a little bit with your boutique label, Second City, doing that. It follows set and frontiers and May and all that. But still, that was much more prolific from the major studios in the mid to late 90s, early aughts. And we just don't, you don't see it anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, you don't. And, and, and the thing that really irritates me is all of those, a lot of those special editions are Europe only and or they're overseas only. And I'm like, well, what the hell? I mean, why can't, why can't we have nice things? Yeah, and Matt was really upset about the uh, Arrow Bruce Lee set. Because mm-hmm. he wants to dive into those special features, and they're all region B locked. I'm telling you, brother, just pull the trigger and get the region free player. I'm going to be doing it this week. Yeah. 220 Electronics, which they have some really good ideas, and their players always work from what I've done my research on. All right. Well, see. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and start us off. I think uh, you went first last time, Matt. My fifth favorite Christopher Nolan scene is going to be 
Tom Hardy's uh, pilot in Dunkirk as he is running out of fuel in his plane. And at the last second, when he just, right before he decides he's just going to kind of try and crash land, he sees another enemy fighter and he pulls back up to go take him down. And then he eventually does crash and gets out. And then he is able to kind of do more damage right before he surrenders to the Germans. And uh, it's just such a great scene. And Tom Hardy is one of my favorite things about Dunkirk uh, throughout mm. that entire thing. He emotes so much with just his eyes because he's mostly behind that oxygen mask the whole time. But still, just great stuff. Just classic kind of hero-y type uh, scene from Nolan. So uh, that's my five. Yeah, honorable mention for me. Very good pick. Um, but my number five is uh, maybe some recency bias. I don't know if this will show up on Chris's list, but it's the detonation scene from Oppenheimer. I was mm. literally sitting forward on the edge of my seat while I was waiting for this thing to happen. And, you know, it goes off. I mean, it's a historical record. It's not anything that's going to be surprising. But the way that, you know, Nolan builds it up and kind of there's all this tension with very few words being spoken and then the dialogue stops and it's just the countdown and then you know all sound stops and they're just yeah. kind of in awe of what they're seeing is it's fantastic it is um uh, one of the best scenes i've seen in a long time absolutely i'm such a sucker for that what is it that 40s technology the countdowns mm. with the, yeah, the light that stuff. was I, that was pretty awesome i feel like i need something like that in my house absolutely so then my number four is actually from memento and it's the ending reveal when everything kind of snaps into focus of what's happening what he's doing he's he's oh, i don't know i don't know how much I want to spoil a film that's like 25 years old at this point <laughs> but the scene where he he decides he has the photo of the guy and the photo of himself and he knows now what's happened and what he's done and if you're not familiar with memento guy pierce plays a guy who cannot make any new memories he has short-term memory loss so what he does is every, he's trying to find the guy who killed his wife. And every time he finds a clue, he tattoos it on his body. And then he'll take Polaroids of people as he meets them and writes little notes on the back of them. And he figured something out about what's been happening the whole time. And he at the end, he decides to just forget again. And he burns the photo, the evidence that kind of helped him figure out everything that had happened and what he mm -hmm. was doing the whole time. And it is so crazy. And I don't know if powerful is the right term, but it's just a... Once the mystery is solved, and then watching the decision he makes to continue the mystery is just, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. So my number four then is from Christopher Nolan's, I think, uh, most incomprehensible film that I still like a lot for some reason is Interstellar and it's Miller's Planet. So Miller's Planet is the planet where the first one they decide to land on and it is the extreme time dilation because of its close proximity to the black hole. Um, they go down and it's on a, appears to be a shallow ankle deep sea and they're kind of doing what they need to do, trying to find what happened to the initial astronaut that's uh, there and they see what they think are some mountains in the distance. And what they realize is, is it's a, you know, 50,000 foot wave and uh, they, the, the chase is on. So that whole action sequence, even with just the weird um, way, like the robot moves and how he kind of turns into a ball to go rescue uh, uh, Anne Hathaway's character. It's, it's such a good, it's such a good fun, um, just kind of pulse pounding uh, scene where they try and ride out the forces of this planet. Yeah, and remember, Matt, the most powerful thing in the universe is love. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's I, there are parts, there are things I really, really love about Interstellar, but then there are things that really I struggle with. And I'd forgotten Damon was in that, so it wasn't like he wanted to work with Nolan finally, he wanted to work with Nolan again. Again, yeah. I had totally forgotten that Damon was in uh, Interstellar. Yeah. So, and he played the little kid in Batman Begins that he throws his little micro, his binocular <laughs> thing to. You might not know that. That's no, not King it's, Joffrey. It's, yeah, uh, okay. Gotcha. It's, just Matt, it's Matt Damon. Damon. He just he just de-aged himself to, to play the no, he role. Was, he's just a little guy. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. So then my, my number three is going to be, again, the ending, the reveal. And this time it's of the prestige. Mm. We have a magician who develops this ability. His trick, Matt, is he can actually just transport from one side of the stage to another. Mm. Crazy stuff, bro. So then uh, that's Christian Bale's character. And then Hugh Jackman becomes obsessed with replicating the trick. So what he does is he tracks down Nicholas Tesla, played by... David Bowie. Awesome. In a fantastic role. One of the greatest performances of all time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tesla actually creates a device that allows him to transport. Oh, but no. He doesn't transport himself. Mm. It creates a duplicate of him, of him every time. And there's a little twist right at the end of it as well. But when all the reveal kind of happens, you see what's really going on with Christian Bale's character and what's happened to the duplicates of Hugh Jackman's character mm-hmm. and everything falls apart in flames. Great ending. So that's my three prestige. Yeah, that's a good one. Maybe they'll come up later. Um, so my number three <laughs> then is uh, the chase and the dark Knight. Um, so basically they are transporting Harvey Dent. Um, and uh, is that what they're, is, God, I can't even remember. Is that who they're transporting? Is that what they're trying to do is transport Harvey Dent and the Joker chases them down? Yeah, because Harvey Dent has revealed himself to be the Batman. Gotcha, that's right. Uh, but that whole sequence, um, the kind of car chase of it, the the uh, bat cycle, everything about it is just uh, absolutely visceral. It's, it's one of the best car chases I think that's been put to celluloid uh, so far. And just how it kind of all ends, especially with uh, Batman's... Uh, Ending the uh, the truck chase at the very end with his uh, his his ridiculous uh, clothesline effort is 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 just a spectacle of the highest order. Nolan flips, a, was it an eighteen wheeler? He flips yes. the truck. Yeah, he does. Yeah. All right, my number two then is probably the most raw emotion in any Christopher Nolan film, and it's Matthew McConaughey watching the home videos from space, mm-hmm. seeing his daughter, and getting a absolutely wrecked by it it's like the only time i've cried watching a christopher nolan film but that scene is so effective i think it's a han zimmer score yeah it is a zimmer score and zimmer really nails that moment too and it is so emotional and it's one of the things that have stuck with me visually out of everything he's done all those cool little twists all those cooler reveals every time batman says swear to me you know (laughs) one of the it's one of the most emotionally impactful moments he's ever shot and it's my number two and what's weird about interstellar is that is an absolutely fantastic scene but he's got there's multiple heavy emotional hitters in that in that movie and like and like for a filmmaker that has this reputation of being so cold as far as the emotions that are up on it somehow interstellar just is, is somehow is maybe his most uh humane film that he has it's mm. crazy I guess really love is the strongest thing in the universe, right? Um, so my number two then is uh, the reveal from the prestige. I think uh, 
what really sells it is the whole Bale thing. You know, you have what you think is Bale's ultimate fate. Uh, he says abracadabra, which is awesome. And then it kind of clicks and then it moves on to the next thing. And he just shows all this stuff. And, you know, um, even when he says, uh, I don't want to ruin it for you guys, but I, so I won't say anymore, but it is, it is just, even just the dialogue that, uh, Bale has and the way he delivers it is just fantastic. There you go. So then, um, at my number one is it's probably the most cliched pick in my entire list, mm-hmm. but it's the hallway fight in inception with Joseph mm-hmm. Gordon-Levitt yep. and it's a simple trick. You just have a revolving room, right? You build the soundstage and you just turn it. But the way that Jiggle navigates that in the fight choreography in that scene, watching that for the first time, you're just yeah. absolutely blown away by it. And it is it's one of the coolest, neatest, and most fun kind of action set pieces of, I don't know, when did that thing come out here? Um, I have it listed for 2010. Wow. Mm. So I guess the last 25 years, we'll say. Okay, very good. Yeah, it's my number one as well. I think it's the... I think it's the Things are cliche for a reason. Maybe that's the obvious choice, but it's because it's so damn good. And really, the key to this entire scene is Jordan Ghost, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, he really sells it just the way he moves. He just looks so damn cool while he's fighting this dream warrior or whatever they're calling them in it. It's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, he's totally in control of that whole thing. The way he just moves from object to object in the room. It yeah. Just... Or like even when it starts to spin and he's just... He doesn't even, like, he barely registers it. He just starts walking with the yep. room, but everything just fits perfectly. Ah, oh, it's so good. Absolutely. Any honorable mentions for you, then? That we uh, yeah, so I would say in Batman Begins, the kind of uh, attack in the shadows where he takes after after the criminals and he kind of takes, picks them off one by one like he's a xenomorph from Aliens. Um, obviously, I'm very partial to the pencil trick in The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic little piece of, of uh, what the Joker is. And then I think finally, um, for Memento, when Carrie Ann Moss confronts uh, Guy Pierce's character and she basically goads him into hitting her and she like smiles and goes and sits out in the car and just waits for him to forget so she can tell whatever story she needs to. And he's panicking around the house trying to find a pen and it doesn't work. No, that's a great, Matt. Um, I would throw in, honestly, the backwards fight reveal in Tenet. Mm. It's pretty cool when we, I mean, even though. Again, I think Nolan telegraphs that a little too much. You know exactly what's going to happen, but to kind of see it again happen, uh, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) Then I mentioned the Batman Begins interrogation. I remember watching that, and I'm like, that's the Batman I've been waiting to see forever. Hmm. Yeah, Let's see here. The Inception top spin, the spinning top ending. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things, It's the question is not, does it stop or not? That's not the point no one's trying to make. And I saw this online the other day, and I was like, yes, that's exactly it. It's not that it keeps spinning or doesn't. It's that Cobb doesn't care anymore if it stops or doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I'd say, of course, um, I think you, did you mention the, the Dark Knight bank heist? Uh, no, How I it opens? No, I didn't, no. Yeah, so, and then, of course, your, 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 you know, your disappearing pencil trick and some, some other stuff, so... And I still love Tom Hardy's Bane. I absolutely love it. <laughs> but the film itself, I think I'm not as. I think at one point, too, I said I like that better than I like The Dark Knight. I think I was wrong about that. Yeah, you were definitely wrong about that. 
but I still I still love Hardy's Bane in that. So fair enough. You're allowed. I'll allow it. All right, folks. That's it. Those are our five favorite Christopher Nolan scenes. What are yours? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, what's coming up next week on The Big Show? Well, as Chris already revealed earlier in the show, we are going to be checking out Barbie. Now, I have already seen it. Mm -hmm. And I have some things to say. And I'm really nervous about this show that's coming up. Fair enough. (laughs) And I do want to check out Talk to Me at some point. It's uh, A24's latest horror film. Uh, the trailers say it's the scariest film of the decade. Now it's only mm. 2023. Mm-hmm. Even that's a bold choice. Yeah. Um, I'm not, we're not going to be able to work it in for next week's show. I don't want to set that expectation. But I think at some point we'll check it out. And we still got to watch Bo is Afraid, Matt, too. Yeah, There's a few we things we have to catch up with. So uh, in the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, I'm sorry, no. It's called X now. Right. Twitter. I like that Elon Musk doesn't want anybody dead naming Twitter. Yeah, well, here's the thing. You know what's hilarious? You know who has the rights to X? Microsoft. That's right, for social social media, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they do, yeah. Social media. Oh, God, I swear to God. I... Whatever, fine. Yeah, I just don't understand that you buy one of the most well-known brands on the planet. Mm-hmm. Tweeting is a part of the cultural common lexicon. Right. Globally. And you're going to get rid of that. Right. What do you think? You buy, you spend all the money to get this brand to then destroy it and build a new version that supposedly, I think, was like he said he envisioned it being responsible for 50% of the financial transactions on the globe in the future. Like he wants to make this everything app, not just an app for like, I can watch a movie, watch a show, listen to a podcast, I can engage with people socially. No. He wants it to be everything. Yeah. Well, what's funny is he tried the name PayPal X. Right. Yeah, and I told him, no, beat it. Jeez, guys, I don't... If you don't need more proof that some people... All right. Where were we? All right. Um, Thefirstrun.com. <laughs> I hate that guy so much. Um, so do I. You can find archives of all the old shows. At some point, the report card would be updated. That's up to the interns who are not paid, so you got to cut them some slack. And um, is that it? I think that's it. I think that's it. So um, hold on. Wait. I want to see one thing, Matt. What are we coming in at right now? Pre-edit. 59 minutes, you son of a bitch. All right. We're going to go ahead and call it a show. We love you very much. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you soon. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude.